Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Network. I am joined again with my co-host, John Hollinger, senior writer for The Athletic and co-host of Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are doing a series of redrafts. This is our second one. We did 2014 last week. Now we're going to dive into the 2016 NBA draft. We're going to do it in the form of a mock draft. Each of us will rotate making picks based on hindsight, what should have happened on draft night. John, it's great to have you aboard. Hey, great to be back. Thank you. We didn't cause too much of a controversy in our 2014 podcast, though I did do a Twitter poll. The consensus, I think 51% felt that Joel Embiid should have been the number one pick. And interestingly, okay. around 6% thought, thought someone else should be. And I really don't have any idea who other than Jokic. Who, who would that someone else even have been? <laughs> who that yeah. someone else would have been. I, I really didn't think there was a contender for that spot that wasn't uh, Jokic or Embiid. I think things are going to get uh, more interesting now as we get into the 2016 NBA draft. Just to go back in time a little bit and think about what happened in the 2016 NBA draft. Here was the lottery. In 2016, the Philadelphia 76ers had the first pick in the draft. They selected Ben Simmons. The Lakers had the number two pick in the draft. They selected Brandon Ingram. The Celtics had the third pick in the draft. They selected Jalen Brown. The Suns had the fourth pick in the draft, and they took Dragon Bender. The Timberwolves took uh, Chris Dunn at number five. Buddy Heald uh, went sixth to to the Pelicans. Jamal Murray, number seven to the Denver Nuggets. Marquise Chris, drafted by the Sacramento Kings, but ultimately uh, went to the Phoenix Suns at eight. Jakob Pertl, number nine, the Toronto Raptors. Thon Maker, big surprise pick at 10 to the Milwaukee Bucks. DeMontis Sabonis, 11 to the Orlando Magic. Torian Waller-Prince went to the Hawks at number 12. The Jazz traded out of that, that position. Georgius Papianis went to the Kings at 13. Another major, major surprise in the draft that night. And the Bulls had uh, Denzel Valentine at 14. And John, this was perceived at the start as a two-person draft between Ben Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. I think the overwhelming consensus among NBA scouts that I was speaking to at the time had Ben Simmons won, but there was there was definitely a Brandon Ingram for number one movement. There was definitely some draft analysts in the media that thought he was going to be the better pick, and and there were certainly some NBA teams that I think may have leaned Ingram as opposed uh, to Ben Simmons. And th- these were the two big prizes in this draft, though I think there was some excitement about some other players as well coming into the draft. What were you thinking? as far as these these two prospects sure. or did you have somebody sure. else that that you guys loved uh, uh, from the Grizzlies uh not not at that level no now keep in mind we came into this draft with the 17th pick so we didn't spend a lot of time on one two um but j- just for me personally I was actually an Ingram fan more than a Simmons fan that year uh it's easy to forget now Simmons had a very lethargic year at LSU and I think that uh, that probably hurt his stock a little too much with some people that they were evaluating just that, not the whole body of work and all the potential that he had. 
Yeah, uh, and I think there there was also big question marks about what position he was going to play in the NBA. He was a point guard, but he was 6'10", and he he had to be in the right team to flourish, I think, the way that people saw. But there was also big questions about Ingram. I mean, he was one of the skinniest players that I've that that I've ever seen coming into the draft. Phys- physically, we knew that that was going to be a big challenge for him. He really burst onto the scene at the Nike Hoop Summit, where I think teams started to get really excited about him coming in. Well, the 76ers, who were in the midst of Tankapalooza, uh, the process, uh, as it was referred, and, and hadn't landed a number one pick, finally get the number one pick. They go with Ben Simmons. I'm going to be on the clock this time first, and, and make the first selection for the 76ers. And I'm going to still select Ben Simmons. I think that if you look at the overall body of work, I still think he's been the best player in this draft. I still think that Ben Simmons is a player that helps uh, his team on the court with his ability to pass the basketball, with his ability to really play floor general for the team. And he's turned out to be, I think, a much better defender than we thought he would be coming into the draft. Yes, oh, I mean, he's world world class defender. Yeah. Yeah. And he's become a world class defender, which actually I don't think was really part of the major scouting consensus at the time, considering that people were concerned about he was lethargic or that he didn't he didn't show enough passion on the court or right. he didn't show enough right. emotion, which I kind of thought was BS at the time. I, I, there's all sorts of different personalities. I mean, we could have dinged Tim Duncan for the same thing. I mean, there's just some personalities that aren't going to show that that way uh, on the court. There's also major issues with Ben Simmons, and obviously shooting is right at the forefront. He, he shoots with the wrong hand. While he's developed a little bit on that end, I think people are generally pretty disappointed with how he's developed as a shooter. But as, as I look at the rest of the board, and I know Brandon Ingram had a, had a great year. Pascal Siakam is an all-star now. There's other, other players to look at. I still think that the 76ers made the right call with Ben Simmons. I think he went with the right coach uh, in Brett Brown, who decided that he was going to play him at point guard, and that's, that's what he was in the NBA. I think the problem is that the 76ers just have never really had the right personnel around him. Uh, I agree with you. I think uh, with I think Simmons and Bede can work, but the other three players have to be able to shoot, and they haven't quite gotten to that point yet. And I think that's what's made the partnership harder to um, maximize. Is there anybody that you would have selected ahead uh, of Simmons if if you had oh, had the Seventy no, Sixers no. pick? I, I I thought he was the clear number one, and I you mean, still do. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Ingram Ingram has the one year of work. I mean, we have to see if those shooting numbers in particular hold up because that's kind of the foundation for the whole thing for, for his breakout year this year. Uh, and even so, I mean, defensively, there's just no comparison between the two players. So I, I still think the call there is between Simmons and Ingram is Simmons. And then the other guy you have to throw in there is Pascal Siakam. Uh, we have to remember he's several years older than these other guys and is kind of further along in his career process. And I think when we, when we look back on their entire bodies of work, you know, when they're, you know, 10 years from now or whatever, I think we're going to see that the, that the, uh, that the, the peak, you know, age 27 type years from Ingram and Simmons uh, will exceed those of Siakam. 
And I think this is re- you know really interesting because this became a very hot topic this year when Ingram started to really flourish uh, with the Pelicans this year, and he had a he had an excellent excellent season. But everybody looks at the data that confirms their pre existing feelings about things. So people that that have hated Ben Simmons, who argued against Ben Simmons being taken number one. When Ingram starts to play well, they, they're cherry-picking data that says, okay, this, this proves that he was actually better than Ben Simmons. Every night that Ingram had a huge game, you would see tweets or people shouting out, look at this amazing great game Brandon Ingram had. But they're not also tweeting out when Ben Simmons had an incredible triple-double yeah. uh, for the night yeah. or what have you. And then every time Ben Simmons would struggle with something, you, you pick out those flaws. And so some of this is, is just bias, and, and, and I may have it too, because I was, a, I was in the Ben Simmons camp. Uh, I thought he was the best best prospect coming into the draft, and so I'm also looking for evidence that he's there. But but statistically, when you look at all the numbers and look at all the advanced stats, it's it's far and away Ben Simmons, yeah. and it's yeah. not even close. Yeah, I think Ingram would have to jump up another couple levels to really have a case to catch him. Now, he is almost two years younger than Simmons, but still, I mean, even – even 22-year-old Ingram versus 22-year-old Simmons, I still think it's advantage Simmons. So I, oh. I still think Simmons is the right pick here. Okay, so the 76ers, we believe, both of us believe, got it right. The Lakers are on the clock at number two. Who should they have selected with the number two pick in the draft? Right, so interesting choice here between Ingram and Siakam. Um, I would still, you know, you can't be clairvoyant and say, I knew we were going to get LeBron James three years from now. Um, I I think you have to take Ingram here. I think he clearly had the highest ceiling at the time and still does of, of any of the players left on this board. And, you know, at his, at his age, I mean, the sky's still the limit for him. So I, I he's got to be the choice here. Right. And Siakam has the best body of work of any, of anybody yes. left on this board. I mean, it, compared to, to even Ingram, it, it is Siakam. But when you look at age and you look at, at, at ceiling and you look at the way that Ingram is improving uh, as a basketball player, I, I agree with you. I think Ingram it was still the correct choice at number two. Yeah, did nearly four years younger than Siakam. So you try to envision where, where is Ingram going to be in four years and what's his body of work going to look like compared to Siakam's. I, th- I think that's where the real difference comes in. It's the third pick in the draft. It's the Celtics. I know they're happy with Jalen Brown. But I don't think he was the best prospect left on the board. And, and I don't think any of us could have seen Pascal Siakam coming as the third best pick in this draft. And he's just continued to improve and improve and improve. And, and, and I think that if you were to go back and look at this now, I, I think he's a no-brainer number three pick in this draft. And as, as you pointed out, he might even be in the conversation for the number two pick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a clear, uh, to me, there's a clear break point right after number three here where you're getting your top three are really like all-star caliber players. And then you're kind of the next level down when you get to this next group. Okay. So John, you had the 19th pick in the draft that year with the Grizzlies, 17th pick in the draft Was Siakam on your radar screen. And if he was, why, why did you pass on him and take Wade Baldwin instead? Yeah. Um, Siakam, uh, I think, was underscouted by a lot of the league, and I think I would I would throw ourselves in that. Um, at the same time, I don't think anyone could have seen the improvements in his skill level, in particular, that he made happening so quickly. His analytics were really good. Um, 
and we probably should have paid more attention to that than we did. But at the same time, that would have been that would have been a hard not in, in terms of like off court or injury stuff. No, um, which is interesting because there's a lot of other cases in this draft in particular where people outsmarted themselves with injury stuff, and we'll get into that. But in in Siakam's case, it was just um, you know people kind of saw him as a, as an energy four, um, and and weren't sure if he'd ever shoot or be able to you know do do a lot of things in a especially like on a team like ours that played so slowly. Um, so we, there were some worries about where exactly he would fit in on a team that played the way we played. Okay. Well, under scouting can, can be part of this. He played at New Mexico state. He played at New Mexico. I mean, and you look, you look, I mean, I, I actually wrote about this for the athletic a while back. I've always felt like the Intermountain West and the Pacific Northwest get systematically underscouted, especially by the high-level execs who end up going to make making the decision, because they have a little a limited amount of time to go and see these guys, and so they're not going to get on a plane and take two flights out to Las Cruces, New Mexico, and two flights back to see a you know whatever an older player who can't shoot. Um, like that's that's not going to be the priority, and uh, I, I I just think there's the guys who are located in sort of scouting convenient uh, either leagues or locations uh, t- tend tend to get seen a lot more, and and some some of these guys in in geographically unfavorable locations can can fall through the cracks, and it's not that the rank and file scouts haven't seen them, it's that the high level decision makers haven't made that trip to where they fall in love with the guy. Okay, fourth pick in the draft, Phoenix Suns. You're on the clock, John. This is me picking for Phoenix. Well, I, I think no matter what, I'm going to do better than they did. Wow. They had two um, shots at this in the lottery and blew them both. Yes, yes. Ironically, the second one, they blew the pick and still won the trade because they ended up with Bogdanovich out of it when they went from uh, 13 to 8. But uh, the um, – uh, the fourth pick, it's interesting because there's there are about five or six players I think you could take here and make a case for it. But in terms of – so this is still a draft. You know, we've had four seasons of work from these guys now. We're still going mostly on what they're going to do rather than what they've done. And I think what Jalen Brown is going to do is going to be better than what any of these other guys is going to do. And so I'm going to go with Jalen Brown. I think he's – kind of that multi-positional guy who can who can take advantage of mismatches, can defend multiple spots, shoots well enough from the perimeter that you have to guard him, but can also attack guys off the dribble if he has a mismatch. I, I just think he's really designed for the modern NBA game and is going to be a high-level starter for a long time and could, be, could still get to a point significantly beyond that. It's interesting with him. He was, he was a difficult prospect. Uh, on a number of fronts. And one of the weird things that threw some teams off with Jalen Brown was how intellectual and and intelligent he was. It it was, Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to hear feedback from scouts that they, they were worried that he didn't love the game, uh, that he wasn't obsessed with the NBA because he had all of these other interests because he like really loved school and and he really loved learning. And you could have really, complex intellectual discussions with him it's interesting how interviews matter but sometimes what you think would be a plus i mean here's a very very highly intelligent 
individual that somehow that was working against him for some teams in the draft. It, it certainly didn't for the Celtics, but there was a number of teams that were really concerned about this. Yeah, and then I think that was magnified because he actually didn't have a great freshman year either at Cal. And so that I think that tied into if you were if you were looking at those warts already and you didn't like the guy, this was an easy thing to tie into that. Guy's too intelligent, too smart. We should pass on him. I, I definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely think yeah. that that was a mistake. You don't hear like he sh- he shoots too well. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> it's really interesting too because I I think there's a prospect that sort of reminds me a little bit of him in in this year's draft. Uh, someone that's in the conversation for the number one pick and and Anthony Edwards. There's some mm-hmm. definite similarities to their game. That is interesting. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of. Uh, seen a lot of Edwards this year I that's that's an interesting comparison that that is because Jalen Brown you could tell even like right from that first summer league that he played in that he that he had the NBA athleticism that guys couldn't stay in front of him um, and I wonder if we're going to see the same thing once we see Edwards playing against pros right but streaky shooter uh, not always making great bet basketball decisions on the court you know you know some of the yeah. some of the things that are the same knocks against Edwards but you know Edwards is built you know, even more than Jalen Brown, like a linebacker, and clearly has that NBA ath- athleticism. Yeah, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see where that that all that all pans out. And I'm sure soon enough we'll be talking about the 2020 draft uh, together as well. So it's the fifth pick. It's the Timberwolves. They're on the clock. They wanted a point guard. They thought Chris Dunn was their guy. I I think point guard was a good place to go. I just think they got the wrong one. And and I've been a little bit torn between two guys here, Jamal Murray and Malcolm Brogdon. But I'm I, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Jamal Murray here. Again, okay. uh, age age is yep. factoring into this to to a certain extent. He's he's had some injuries and some things that that have maybe held him back a little bit. But I still see a very very bright future for Jamal Murray as a as a very good, maybe not elite, but as a very good uh, starting point guard in the NBA. And I, and I think this is who uh, should have gone number five. You know, it's interesting. I mean, this, this pick ended up being traded for Jimmy Butler regardless. Um, and I think probably would have been the same outcome either way. People were excited about Chris Dunn. You remember that? Like people were fired up about him. And I think it's been a surprise how little he's been able to accomplish at the offensive end as a pro. I think people thought it'd be better than this offensively. And I think part of the excitement was the the energy and the aggression with which he played. He was a bit of a workout wonder uh, as well. I think he was extremely competitive in workouts. He shut down anybody that he really worked out against. And uh, and I think that 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 helped this sort of makeup of Chris Dunn sort of had that competitive makeup that was going to allow him to continue to progress and become a better and better basketball player going forward. And, and for whatever reason, it just really has not, has not panned out for him. And, and I have to say, I'm a little bit surprised. I, I, I was a Chris Dunn fan at the time, you know, him and Murray were the two guys that I was debating back and forth about who the best point guard prospect was in this draft. And it's clear now that, that he wasn't the guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just a, you know, and sometimes that happens. You know, you're trying to project project what twenty year olds will be like when they're twenty five. I mean, it's a not an exact science. And sometimes you can do all the all the all the steps of it right and still the outcome isn't what you expected for reasons that you might not have anticipated. We'll be back with picks six through ten 
on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and, and pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like Blackjack, Roulette, Slots, War, and more. It doesn't matter whether you are out on the front lines or quarantined at home, the fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. Video poker not your thing but still need a fix? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right, they have professional dealers at their tables live, on-site, 24-7. Your favorite squad sidelined because of the pandemic? Don't even sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action, straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. And we're back doing picks 6 through 10 in the 2016 NBA redraft. I'm here with John Hollinger. He's on the clock with pick 6. It's the New Orleans Pelicans. They took Buddy Heald. Did they make the right choice? Let me put it this way. They didn't make the wrong choice, right? Like, Buddy Heald's a defensible pick here. Um, I do think in retrospect, there was another senior guard they could have taken that's been a little bit better. Um he it definitely has the best education of any player in this draft because he went to the nation's finest university, the University of Virginia. And I think this is another case. There were several, as you go down the second half of our lottery here, where teams outsmarted themselves on the medical side. Malcolm Brogdon had a screw in his foot that was put in in college. And, and a lot of people on the medical from the, um, from the combine were, were concerned about that, thought the foot would re-break, thought it would be a problem. And he was knocked down or out of a lot of draft boards because of that. Now, there are some other things holding him back. He didn't have crazy stats. Uh, you know, the way Virginia plays, I think, was part of that. He was an older player, uh, you know, didn't have crazy athleticism. And I think there were a, l- a little bit of positional concern. Um, he was very right-handed, even though he always seemed to get where he, where he wanted to go. Um, and... At the end of the day, people completely outsmarted themselves. He went with the 36th pick and won the Rookie of the Year award and has been, you know, obviously an elite player and a good team in Milwaukee. And this year in Indiana, moved over to point guard with um, with the injuries they had and, and just kept on going. And just really a high-level guard, probably not quite an all-star caliber player in a normal year, but one of the better players at two different positions at, at in, in the league. And that's Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, injury bias, senior bias, playing on a team like Virginia where you're not going to put up great stats 
age. You know, there's a lot of factors that, that worked against him, which, which makes you understand why he slipped in the draft. Certainly 36 seems too far, but you could certainly understand why a team would take Chris Dunn or Jamal Murray, for example, uh, ahead of Brogdon, given, given all those red flags uh, that, that were there. But he certainly turned out to be a, a really terrific p- pick and player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, he's, I mean, he's definitely regard. I mean, there are some other players you could have taken here, but he's definitely one of the ten best players in this draft. And to get that in the second round was an absolute steal for Milwaukee. Okay, the Nuggets at seven, they got Jamal Murray, a great pick for them. Uh, he's off the board here, and so I'm going to have them take Buddy Hield. You know, one thing about the modern NBA is that that shooting matters. And you have Buddy Heald shooting 41% with a high volume of threes uh, right now for his career. He's also a great culture guy. Uh, he's a guy that uh, I, I think plays the right way. He certainly has weaknesses, especially on the defensive end. But, but his ability to score the basketball and, and shoot the basketball, to me, make him such a valuable pick. Uh, I, I think that he would have been a great fit for the Nuggets at seven and while I certainly think there's several other players that you could look at in that spot, to me, the, the, the shooting trumps everything else here, and, and he's my, my pick at number seven. Yeah, I think, I think that's a defensible pick right there, um, especially on, on this team and, w- and what their needs are and were. Uh, but, but he's been a good player. I think you know he's had some friction with the Kings organization, but it hasn't stopped him from, from lighting it up from the perimeter. And I think even though he's he's already kind of an older player at 27, I think you know shooting's an ability that that stays with a player into his 30s. And a lot most of the guys of his ilk have been able to kind of hold up their value and hold their primes for a fairly extended run. So I think he's going to end up, uh, as you look back, delivering good value on that spot. And it's really interesting. You know, I said he's a good locker room guy, and then you say, okay, he's had friction with the Kings, but I I, I place much much of that uh, at the feet of a of a fairly dysfunctional Kings organization. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, all the, all the background on him on the draft was really strong. So I, I, I think your, your point is accurate. Okay. It's the Sacramento Kings. They're number eight. Okay. So at number eight, I will neither draft Marquise Chris nor trade down to select Papianis. Uh, instead, I will take a completely different big who is the guy that probably should have taken. And illustrates a point that the team you end up at really matters and can help determine outcomes. Uh, the player is DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, he was selected 11th by Oklahoma City, wasted a year of his life standing at the three-point line watching Russell Westbrook, had horrible numbers, looked like a total bust, uh, was thrown into the trade for Paul George, and then when they started using him as a role man in Indiana, he instantly blossomed and became uh, an all-star this year in the Eastern Conference, asterisk. Um, but is has clearly become one of the better bigs in the league at either four or five, uh, and he's only, you know, twenty three this year. I mean, he's going to be one of the better bigs for a while. I think this was a player that, from an analytical standpoint, pr- prior to the draft, he he really popped. Yeah, his the, numbers were really good. It was just a question of, you know, the the teams they played in that league. You know, there was a lot of questions about, is he just getting his points against six, seven guys from the University of San Francisco? And is, is that not going to replicate when he plays uh, against better competition? And there were more questions about that. I remember in particular 
scouting him in a game at SMU who had Ben Moore, who was a really good defensive player who couldn't play offense, and that's why he's not in the league. But um, And Moore just shut him down. I think, I mean, there were other scouts I was sitting there with, and everyone's kind of looking at each other like, uh, uh, but the things that stuck out about him, he had, like, awesome hands, uh, really good rebounder, really strong lower body, even though he didn't look strong and wasn't that wide. Uh, and those are the things that have really carried him in the pros. Okay, I think we're going to see another fairly big drop off now, at least on my board, of of where you're getting what you're getting next uh, mm-hmm. from 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 players. Now, I, I think sure. that this this draft again has a about another tier that drops off uh, at at eight, and and what we're really talking about now with the rest of these these prospects, at least in my mind, are are, are good role players. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, for teams. And so the, the NBA draft produced this draft, at least so far, looks like it produced eight really good starters. And, and we go from there. I, I, I have a love affair with this ne- next prospect and I, I'm going to admit where some irrational bias uh, comes in. I, I loved him at the university of Washington uh, as a freshman. I loved him working out. Uh, I, he slides in the draft or maybe he doesn't slide depending on the teams that he was ranked all over the board on draft night. I'm still a believer in DeJounte Murray. He went 28th uh, to the Spurs. I still think when you look at the players that are left on the board and you look at ceiling and you look at what the player can become, even though he hasn't yet become that player. And, and some nights he looks, looks like he can be a, a great starting point guard in the NBA and other nights he looks like he shouldn't, earning minutes at all uh, for his team. I still believe DeJounte Murray has the most upside of any of these players left in the draft. And, and there's some defense for that on the way that he's played so far for the San Antonio Spurs. Yeah. I think that's very defensible. Um, You want to hear a little story? Yeah. Love one. Uh, So we, um, if, if Wade Baldwin was gone when we picked, which was expected to happen, he was supposed to go much higher actually. Um, the the guy we were looking at was Dejounte Murray, and why? Uh, we we just felt like he had he had that um, ability to make plays on the ball. Um, you know, it was really smooth, uh, dribbling, penetrating. Uh, couldn't shoot per se. Like actually, in a workout for us, he missed ten straight mid range jump shots. <laughs> it was like wow, like like you really can't shoot. Um, but he could like get to floaters. Um, and do other stuff. So, so like it wasn't hopeless. The big thing that they got out of him in San Antonio that I don't think anyone expected was that when he played at Washington, he did not give a shit about defense, and they turned him into a monster at that end. It's what San Antonio does. And, you know, one of the things I said on draft night was that he landed in the best possible situation for him as far as player development goes, as, as far as what they were going to do, the discipline that he needed that he didn't necessarily show at Washington. I just really felt like this was a great place for him to develop as a basketball player. I still believe that's true. He's had some injury issues, obviously. And like I said, he's been up and down. But I still he was one of the youngest players in the draft. Uh, and I, st- I still think that he has that potential to become a player. Sometimes becoming a point guard in the NBA is a bit of a longer process for players as well. I think that I think the number nine pick in the draft, I actually had him as a top 10 prospect uh, mm-hmm. c- coming into draft night, and I still believe that he is. Uh, another thing I'll tell you, this year, okay, didn't take many of them, 37.8% from three, 79.8% from the line. 
He's, he's shots gotten a lot better. Yeah, and if he continues to do that, then then his future is even much much brighter. Yeah, okay, it's absolutely. the Milwaukee Bucks. Shocking on draft night that they take that they take Thon Maker. And if you don't know the backstory of Thon Maker, he was sort of an internet sensation. He was one of these people that based off of like workout videos that, that were being posted online, there was this sort of legend around Thon Maker and what he was going to be. There was a lot of skepticism, a ton of skepticism from NBA scouts and NBA teams about whether he was an actual basketball player or not. I got a call. Here's a little, little story. I'm on the floor of Barclays. It's draft night. It's about 10, 15 minutes before the draft begins. And I get a call from the Bucks uh, telling me that they're going to take Maker. And I, I was really surprised. Like, why tell me? Why tip your hand? And, and, and part of it I got, I don't think anybody was taking him one through nine. And, and, and so this isn't a case where you're tipping your hand and some team's going to trade up and, and get above him. There was a reason. It was very deliberate that they called me. They wanted to explain the pick before the commentary was coming out. And I was going to be on ESPN. It was going to be live. I think most mock drafts and things had him in the you know in the twenties, if if not some some teams in the second second round. People ask all the time, well, why do teams leak things to reporters, or why did why do they sometimes give information? There's always that skepticism about anonymous sources, and 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 one of the reasons is they want to control the narrative, and, and that they want they want a narrative out there uh, that is going to be more favorable to them. I didn't totally buy it with the Bucks. Uh, you know, if you look at my at my commentary, I, I don't think they would they loved necessarily what I had to say about that pick. I, I can also look back now in time and say that it did affect how I reacted to the pick, and I think that my reaction would have been harsher had they not called in advance and explained at least their position and their point of view of why they took Maker uh, Thon Maker at ten. Yeah. And so, so yeah. There, there's a lot of reasons and interesting relationships between reporters and and front offices of why why we talk to each other and and why there's a relationship there i doubt you're going to take thon maker at 10 no i am i am not the interesting to, thing to us at the time was if if he was their guy why they didn't try to trade down first um because i think they could have gotten him at 15 pretty easily well there was a there was a theory uh, yeah. at the time too and maybe i shouldn't give wild internet theories uh, that are out there, but this is definitely a theory that, that existed within NBA circles as well. Uh, it had a lot to do with their agent, Thon Maker's agent and their head coach, who was Jason Kidd, uh, who also had the same, the same agent. Definitely one trend that you saw with the Bucks during yeah. that time with Jason Kidd as the head coach was that Excel management players were finding their ways onto the onto the Bucks rosters in sometimes unique ways. Yeah, the bad ones too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Every, everyone in the league was well aware of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who that, who that would you have definitely. taken at ten? At number ten, this player did not get drafted. Uh, from Wichita State, a small bowling ball point guard by the name of Fred Van Vliet. Why did Fred Van Vliet not get drafted? He had an, an incredible career at Wichita State. Why wasn't he drafted? Okay, so I, I was actually able to see him play in person a few times, and he worked out for us. I think, um, again, the Raptors have done an incredible job in player development, improving guys' skill level. Fred Van Vliet could, could 
shoot with range, but he couldn't necessarily shoot well. Um, he The shot had a side spin on it. Uh, was a little line drivey. You can see now, I mean, he's a much better shooter now and can shoot with, you know, still all kinds of range, but now he makes him at a 40% clip basically for his career. 39.2 I'm looking here. And the other thing that hurt him, obviously his, his size profile and he couldn't really blow by people. So there were questions about that. He, then this is a thing that has stayed with him pretty much the whole way through the league. He struggled to finish at the rim. Like even, you know, against the teams Wichita State was was playing, that that wasn't really a thing he he showed he could do. And he's had trouble with that in his pro career too. He's just so strong in so many other areas that it hasn't held him back. And I think I think um, you know, his his analytics were strong, not not mind blowing, but they were good. But I think the other thing with him, I think people underestimated kind of the character work ethic iq like he had all those arrows pointing so strongly in his direction that i think that that should have superseded some of the other concerns couldn't agree with you more we'll be back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with john hollinger you're listening to chad ford's big board on the locked on podcast network And we're back, finishing the redraft of the 2014 NBA Draft. I'm with John Hollinger. I'm on the board. It's pick 11. It's the Orlando Magic. We're into role-player territory now in this draft. It didn't really produce 10 great NBA starters. I'm going to go with a player that, that also was hurt because of injury concerns. He hasn't been great, but, but I think he's been a very productive role-player, and that's Karis LeVert who was drafted 20th by the Brooklyn Nets. Levert at the time, there was a lot of questions about his foot, uh, injuries that, that he had experienced at, at, at Michigan, how he was going to hold yeah. up. Everybody saw the talent, his ability to play multiple positions, to defend multiple positions, uh, to handle the basketball, to shoot the basketball. There was a, a school of thought that if he got really healthy and didn't have issues in, in the future – he was going to be a really, really good player in the NBA. And, and I think that he's turned out to be a solid NBA player, a solid role player. Levert, to me, maybe missed too much development in Michigan to, to have really turned the corner. But I still think he's had a nice career for the Nets. Yeah, I agree with that. And this is another one where teams probably outsmarted themselves on the medical side. So he had multiple broken feet, which is a concern because a lot of times if you re-break the, the foot the second time, it, it doesn't go as well. Um, so that, that was definitely, he was red flagged medically by a lot of teams because of that, which is a shame. I mean, we'd had him rated as a first rounder since his sophomore year and we were not the only ones like this, this wasn't us being ahead of the curve. This was like what, what everyone felt. And then it just, the, the medical was, was just a thing that, that I think knocked him out of that consideration in most people's minds and Brooklyn took a chance knowing that there wasn't an early morning you know, a lot there. Room. You go back and look, so I mean, picks pizza, 13 through game. 26 in this draft were basically a wasteland almost. And they got by far the best player in that stretch uh, because they were willing to take that, that chance on the medical rather than just draft somebody else who might not be as good. And so 
credit credit to Brooklyn. I mean, they they did a great job and they you know rehabilitated him physically. Now he still had some other in, injury issues, uh, but he's he's a good productive player and at a position of value too, which I think is important. You know, those guys who are twos and threes and can get their own shot uh, and you have to defend on the perimeter. I think there's a lot of value with those guys uh, beyond maybe the designation of just starter backup and everybody's looking for them. And so I, I think at the very least, like Brooklyn, whether they hang on to him or not, he's got a lot of trade value if they decide not to. And, you know, that's a factor too, as you're building, building a team, who can you draft that maybe even if they don't fit exactly, will have trade value for you going forward. So you can keep assembling pieces for your team. I, I thought that was a great pick by Brooklyn. Okay. Pick 12. The jazz had this pick. They traded it to the Hawks. Who do you got? Uh, yeah. Um, another guy where teams probably outsmarted themselves. Uh, this guy had back and foot issues. Hadn't played a ton in uh, Croatia and Serbia the year before and didn't have a particularly great s- season. But um, he had a really good worker up for us. I'm talking about Ivica Zubats, uh, who is really coming on, had – a career year this year at the age of 22. I think he can still get better. He can shoot out to mid-range. He's huge. He has good hands. Uh, they don't really run a lot of stuff for him right now, but I, I think he could take on a bigger role if he was on a lesser team. I think he's a good player, and as long as he stays healthy, he could be really good. Let's go to 13. Uh, the Kings get this sure. pick as part of that trade with the Suns. They pick probably the worst player that was available in the draft at 13, which is kind of hard to do. I'm going to go with a with a young player that I hope now, given the fact that he's been traded, is going to start to see more opportunity and I, and I think can be a really productive player in the NBA, and that's Malik Beasley. Yep, another medical guy. Another medical guy, shoots for his career 39% from three, and really had a had a situation in Denver where he, he just struggled to get minutes coming off the bench. I think he's got a better opportunity now to show and and to and to shine as a basketball player. And I, I still think there's a pretty good ceiling for him. If nothing else, it's just a player that can consistently stretch the floor. Yeah, absolutely. And you know he's still pretty young. He missed a lot of his first season. He had uh, issues with stress fractures uh, in in the one leg and and. Uh, potentially in the other leg that doctors were concerned about. And then there was one other issue with him on the medical too. So a lot of teams moved him way down because of that. Uh, people liked him coming out of Florida state, thought he could shoot, thought he'd be able to defend well enough to play in the league. And that's really how it's borne out. And I think the, the injury case, I mean, Denver is a team that's definitely been willing to take chances on a lot of these injury guys. And it's worked out really well for him on most of them. Be- Be- Beasley, I thought was a good, good example of that. Um, and uh, he's, yeah, I think he's going to turn out to be whether he's like, whether he turns out to be a starter or a high level backup, like he's definitely something. And again, at a position of need, teams are always looking for wings who can shoot. Okay, John, you have the last pick. 14. Yeah, let me finish this Chicago off Bulls. The most boring, finish this off in the most boring way possible for the Bulls. Um, this guy was projected to be a nice, decent, solid center, and he's become a nice, decent, solid center. I'm going to take Jakob Pertl. Exactly. He, he, he is exactly what we thought he would be. He went a little bit high at nine to the Raptors, but, but he's solid. All right, let's talk about a few players yeah, I, that didn't make the cut, that made the cut on draft night. Dragon Bender, number four, the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. 
here's a little story. I, I spent a lot of time in Israel, in the Middle East. I went to several right. practices with Dragon Bender, who wasn't getting a lot of minutes for Maccabi. And there was massive confusion among Israelis as to why I was there scouting Dragon Bender. And why, <laughs> how is he an NBA prospect? And even further, their eyes like bulging out of their heads when I said, yeah, he's going to be a lottery pick. He's going to be a, you know, a top 10 pick, which was the consensus coming, coming into the draft. The, the number of arguments that I got into in Israel about Dragon Bender and how there's no way he is going to be an NBA player or anything special, they, they turned out to be right. And, and the NBA turned yeah. out to be wrong. Uh, my life was miserable for that entire year. Everywhere I went, <laughs> everybody was like, why in the world are you are you here scouting Dragon Bender? I, I got to be honest. I saw him play at the Euro camp the year. So almost exactly one calendar year before he was drafted. So it would have been, he probably would have been like 17 and a half, basically. And I remember talking to our international scout and talking to our front office and just being like, guys, like, I, I don't get it. Like what, what, what am I missing here? Like, was he sick? Was he injured? Like what, what's the deal? He was a seven footer who was, who was supposed to be able to stretch the floor. Right. And, and was fairly athletic. I mean, that's, that was the thinking on it, but there was a, there was a lot of hype and, and, you know, this was a Nicola Schizzavilli sort of situation where most of that hype was not him playing at a high level where you could really see how he was going to going to really adapt to playing yeah. w- with with other players of of his of his caliber and a bit of a workout wonder but even i was surprised he moved all the way up to 4 in fairness to the suns i think the general consensus among the nba was that this was a top 10 pick in the draft yes i i pre- pretty much yeah i mean we were about as down on him as a team could be and i i mean like we still had him in the, i don't remember where exactly we had him but it was you know, it wasn't like 40th. We had him like, I don't know, ninth or 12th or something. Right. I can't remember. You know yeah. what I mean? Like every, everyone had him up there somewhere. Okay. We talked about Chris Dunn and uh, I think we can move on from him. Marquise Chris. Also at Washington. Yeah. Super athletic. I just, I just don't think he was ever really a basketball. Player. You know, he was just a guy like you'd see him even in warmups before games. And all he'd be doing was practicing his dunks. Like I, I just, the, the, this the kind of there has to be like some level of skill that goes along with that and it just it just wasn't there with him i was a bit excited about him i get excited about these type of players and we don't have to talk about malik pope and and uh my irrational exuberance <laughs> over him uh, one of the players i, I had completely forgotten uh, about one him. of the players i will forever be <laughs> tied to is someone who i got really excited about these long athletic players that can jump out of the gym and stretch yeah. the floor that i get excited about except you know chris He's a career 29% three-point shooter, uh, but he saw himself completely in that role. I know when I was there pre-draft watching him work out, all he wanted to do was play on the perimeter. That's how he saw himself, and and I think some of that was his inability as well to, to take coaching, take instruction. Uh, he saw himself a particular way. I don't think he actually had the skill set to be that type of player. And those players tend to burn out pretty quickly in the NBA. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Thon Maker, we talked a little bit about. Uh, he's turned into a at least a kind of serviceable role player. Ish. Ish. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, his contract runs out. We'll see if he's in the NBA or Europe next year. You're high-fiving on draft night because you got Wade Baldwin. He was supposed to go higher. He slipped. 
to the Memphis Grizzlies yeah. at 17. What happened with Wade Baldwin? He had, he, the tools obviously were so enticing when you see a 6'4 point guard with seven foot wingspan who could do some of the things he could do. His shooting numbers at Vanderbilt, I think, were deceptive in retrospect. He really struggled to shoot. But I, th- I think even, even beyond that, um, some of the some of the th- there were things that were hard to see until you got him in your in your own gym. Just the ability to um, the kind of emotional resilience to come back from uh, from setbacks or or just poor stretches. Like you could just see like when things started to go bad, they just kept going bad with him, and it could never could never quite get the train back on the rails. And those things happen. I mean, he said he set an NBA record uh, in his first regular season game with us. I don't know if you remember. He had like three steals, three blocks, five assists or something. Like he was he was the first player ever to do that in his first game. And uh but once once he hit tough stretches, he the ability to overcome those that adversity, um, it it just wasn't there for whatever reason. It was it was really bizarre. All right. That's our look back at the 2016 NBA draft. Thanks, John, for all of your insight and those anecdotes and stories. And we will be back next week redrafting the 2013 NBA draft, a draft that everyone thought was going to be horrible but produced a league MVP. You've been listening to Chad Ford's Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.